0: Welcome to episode 42 of The Hilo, the Current Affairs and Pop Culture podcast brought to you by journalist Dolly Alderton and Pandora Sykes. Bonjourno. Bonjourno indeed. Thank you so much to everyone who loved episode 41 so much. We got a hell of a lot of love for episode 41. I spent most of Sunday replying to emails from fellow up-the-duff women saying thank you for articulating what I couldn't or felt I shouldn't. Um, I'm so glad some of you found solace in my crass ramblings. I've got a new thing to add, by the way. I now snore. Have you never snored before? Never snored before. I've been a very quiet, delicate sleeper. Really? And I found my husband sleeping on the sofa last night. At first I thought he'd been snatched. (laughs) And then I I found him curled up and made him come back because I said I don't like sleeping alone, which is just so unfair. Oh, that's sweet. Not only did he feel... No, but it's not very nice of me because not only was he forced to abandon the marital bed because of my... Snoring. He forced to get back in. I, it was forced to get back in because I don't like sleeping alone. Do you know
1: what? It's really weird you should, say, you should say that. As I was falling asleep last night, I was like, "Oh, I'm going to do that thing that I do where I just luxuriate in having the whole bed and I'm going to sleep completely on the diagonal. I do it as a treat sometimes because you can only do it so trippy. while you're single. It's lovely. And I really do miss it whenever I have a partner. And I was just like, I don't
0: know. If we're going to share a bed again. I know, I know. I don't it's... know how I'm going to do it. I love sleeping alone. No, I complete. I know what you mean. I'm not someone who sleeps in a spoon. It's more just, I like knowing he's there in case anyone breaks in. Yeah,
1: do you know what I've taken to doing? This happened since I moved in on my own. I sleep naked, but I'm so nervous about something happening in the middle of the night and me having to jump out of my window and being completely naked in the middle of Camden Town. I now lay pyjamas as an emergency under my bed.
0: It's a very good idea, that. So I could just I leap do into that. them
1: if anything ever happened.
0: So you but should do that. It's when you oversleep and the doorbell goes and you're yeah. getting dressed lit. I Exactly. I, I'm used to living in a flat, so I used to walk around naked without thinking who could see through the windows because it was a mm. third floor flat. And I strolled into the sitting room naked yesterday, obviously with this comical-sized belly, <laughs> and a man was just walking past. We haven't got curtains yet in the sitting room, and I literally flung myself to the floor, again, quite hazardous with, with this stomach, and I, I was like, right, note to self, must not walk around naked you should get really a, you should get a um, kimono that's what they're for I've got loads of monos but you they're just mono. in boxes somewhere. Ollie loves a mono <laughs> it's been a big week hasn't it and we'll get to all that shortly this last week I've been enjoying, nay, loving the female persuasion by my favourite author, Meg Wurlitzer. She wrote The Interestings, which I discovered in 2015 on my honeymoon, and I never looked back and I got you hooked on her I books I love as Meg well. Wurlitzer now. I think of her as Jonathan Franzen for the empathetic reader. Mm. It's that same um, ability to just develop these huge familial narratives It's like a Warren. It's almost like a sort of Harry Potter world of family uh, characterisation. Um, And this is such a timely book. It comes out in February and it's about this kind of Germaine Greer-esque feminist who is now in her 70s and is sort of... um, she gets tarred with the white feminist brush, like the rich white feminist brush a lot. And there's this quite idealistic young charge of hers who who comes to work with her. And it's about both of their lives apart and together. And she's just amazing. I'm like, did you know what was going to happen? Like, did you know, you know, a book called The Female Persuasion, Landing Now, feels Mm. very...
1: She's also, I
0: think the reason um,
1: Meg Wallace is so good is she marries really brilliant plotting with really well-embroidered worlds and character observations. So not Mm. only do you have this, like, rich, um, immersive, vivid, brilliant description of the world that's really intelligent and written with these beautiful, inventive, um, acrobatic prose, but it's also just always a really good story. It's always a really exciting, well-paced story. You're right,
0: the inner and the exterior worlds are given equal attention. Yes,
1: and they're married so well. And
0: often that's something that's really absent. Like in the books that I have found I haven't enjoyed so much this year that have been really hyped, for example, Hot Milk, it's because the inner characterisation is, is so much more deftly manoeuvred yes. than the exterior. And you're right, yes. it's the balance of the, the story itself.
1: Yeah, and something like The Wife... I was talking to my mate Lauren about this last night, actually, because she's got her mother now onto reading The Wife, all because of the low um, That twist at the end, which I won't reveal, felt like, you know, I was like roaring through those pages to get through it because it was so exciting. And, and it's rare that a book can do that. And as you say, also nourish you in a sort of intellectual, soulful way. Is that your favourite one, The Wife? That's the only Meg Wallet so I've read.
0: Oh, you must read the I
1: know. I've got the interestings and I've got the new one on my
0: It just reminds table. me a bit of The Secret History, which is a really poor Every time I love something, I say to someone, it's a bit like The Secret History. And often it's really nothing to do with The Secret History. I watched Hang the DJ doll on your oh, recommendation. I you think. It's this is Black Mirror. Really spooky. Yeah. The lead characters are great, they've got such a um, good chemistry yeah you can see from the beginning they're really destined to be together did you see Sophie Sophie's
1: tweeted saying no offence to hang the DJ but why does the future look
0: like an all-bar one (laughs) (laughs) it doesn't look like an all-bar one it's (laughs) true it's mostly an all-bar one it's quite a frustrating watch at times you're a bit Mm. like oh just you know hurry up and rebel Mm. um but I no, think, it was yeah, interesting. That I think that's
1: the highlight of Black Mirror.
0: And I went to see Molly's Game, which is the film starring Jessica Chastain that's had a lot of airtime recently, about Molly Bloom, who was the woman who ran the world's most high profile underground poker game. And Ooh. like Leonardo DiCaprio and Toby Maguire were players in the game. She is still owed she's completely broke and she's owed almost three million on the street i.e people that never paid her that she had to pay the game out of her own pocket but she famously the reason why she is still broke and hasn't covered this money is she famously refused to name anyone that hadn't already been named in other depositions so one of the names that is out there is Toby Maguire who played um, Spider Man and yeah. she has been vehement about how vile he is, basically. Really? Michael Serra plays him with gleefully vile aplomb and I thought that's quite brave of Michael Serra. Michael Serra plays Toby Maguire? Well, he plays the character that can only be Tony Ma- Toby right, Maguire because at right. one point Toby Maguire tries to shut down her game okay. and um, it sort of is the start of her downfall. And I wonder if... And I just thought, God, the next time he sees him at an awards ceremony, must be slightly odd. Did you enjoy it? Yeah, it's good. Again, didn't understand very much of it. They needed to do more of what they did in Wolf of Wall Street, whereas they explain what's going on in the city. If you don't know how to play poker, which I I don't and Mm, Ollie didn't, mm. there's a lot of quick fire... You know, it's really wordy. It would... Almost Work better as a play. Mm. It's an Aaron Sorkin film. It's incredibly wordy, and you know, rat tat tat, cards flipping, games. Da-da-da. You know, you can yeah. imagine how poker might be relayed on screen in quite a kind of um, rhythmic way. So I didn't really understand a game of it, but be it's mostly confused. This <laughs> I've week. been mostly confused this week. I've read some great articles though. I loved the piece on Bell Gibson in the Sunday Times magazine. So for anyone not familiar, Bell Gibson was a health blogger from Australia who wrote a best-selling book about how her healthy diet cured her cancer yes and I then she was busted this. in 2014 2015 and fined like the biggest amount by the consumer regulatory body in Australia and This and these two authors, these two journalists who uncovered it, have written a book about her, and this was a sort of extract from the book. And I'm always really fascinated by the um, flimsy relationship that social media allows us with the truth in Mm. terms of how some women use social media, either consciously or unconsciously, to develop entire personas. Because another one was Essena O'Neill, who also, I think, was Australian who was a kind of fitness and fashion blogger with tons and tons of followers who then had like an online breakdown and started deleting her posts and changing all the captions. But it was later revealed it was to be a kind of stunt to get people over to her other website. Anyway, all these stories, odd that they're both from Australia, always really interest me. So Belle Gibson, was that, has she written it from her point of view? No, this is the people who wrote a book on her. Right. And they're writing about how they uncovered it. When you read it, you're like, how did this happen? Yeah. But of course, you know, you can read a lot of things and be like, how does that happen? But it seems too improbable for someone to, you know, why would you doubt someone? And do they go into the psyche? Do they go into why they think she did it? No. She's never been honest about it. She's never Mm. given an interview. Apparently she's back on Snapchat now. Um, Another great piece that I can recommend from this week is a short satire piece on The New Yorker called Toxic Femininity, which may resonate with many working women. Um, It felt specific to women in the media, but I think anyone will enjoy it. Dolly E will love the vignettes. Here's a few of them. Jessica begins speaking and no one speaks over her. She didn't actually have an ending to her presentation prepared because she expected to be interrupted. She is mortified. Christine wears a skirt no one stares at her legs she worries that she no longer has good legs so she blows $300 on an Equinox membership (laughs) you'd really like them and they've been been doing the rounds I'm hoping that there'll be another instalment of toxic femininity I've been listening to a lot of Radio 4 recently. My 2018 resolution is to get into The Archers. Such a good resolution. I know, it could be to get ripped abs or to learn Tagalog, but no, it's to get into OAP audio porn. (laughs) There was this brilliant segment on Tuesday at 12pm on Radio 4. You can find it on the online schedule if you want and listen to it. It's called You and Yours, and it was off the back of the BBC China editor Carrie Gracie resigning over lack of parity. Though things are revealed to have been quite awkward at the broadcaster, with Radio 4 host Winifred Robinson being taken off air after expressing solidarity with Carrie Gracie, so it's quite hard for the BBC to be impartial in this, this segment is actually a pretty good um, piece of discussion about it. There was a bit that I found particularly interesting, which I think really captures the issue at heart, that it isn't that a woman's job ends when she has children, but that her career progression ceases or halts. Mm, Plateaus, yeah automatically. This massive gap pulls away in the sort of late 20s, early 30s, where men just start progressing more than women. Well that's a really important point but what we're talking about there isn't so much a gender pay gap based on what employers are deciding to do, but a motherhood pay gap based on what people are doing in their personal lives. And I think you raise a really important point. I mean women, regardless of whether or not they're working full time, tend to do a higher percentage of household chores. Men aren't picking up the slack there. Of course we know that the majority of women are taking more time out of the workforce to raise kids, many of them want to do that. And I I, I get very concerned when we start treating mothers as if they're second class in some way. If you want to take the time out to do that, to have a healthier work-life balance, that's great. But of course, it's fantastic that we now have shared parental leave so that men can do this as well. These are the conversations that society has to have. We need to ask ourselves when we look at our, our mothers, our partners, our sisters, are we treating them the same in society as we would treat men?
1: I've been reading Things Bright and Beautiful by Anbara Salam, which is out in April, I think. I'm reading a proof copy, which I'm really enjoying. I've realised I haven't sunk my teeth into fiction in a really long time. And sometimes there's something really soothing and much needed about escaping into a kind of very remote and foreign world when you get into bed every night at the end of a long day. And I haven't done that in a really long time. And this is a book about... It's kind of very dark and it's uh, mysterious and beguiling. It's about a couple in the fifties who are missionaries who go and live on a very remote South Pacific Island. So it couldn't be more removed from my life right now. And it's just, um, uh, it's beautifully written. It's just transporting me to a different world every night when I get into bed, which I'm really enjoying. Not that I don't love my world. It's just slightly stressful at the moment. (laughs) So I'm reading that. I've also been watching Feud. Have you heard about Feud? No. It stars Susan Sarandon and Jessica Lange playing Betty Davis and Joan Crawford, who were these, I'm sure people will know this, but they're these iconic Hollywood actresses.
0: Sirens, as they were called. Yeah,
1: and they had this very, very famous feud near the end of their respective careers when they were both, I would say, in their 60s. And they decided to come together at the kind of end of their career to make this film called Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. And the story's a legendary of uh, on-set quarrels and tricks and deception. And it's all about this very, very famous riff between these two.
0: Amazing. Yeah,
1: it's really good. It's um,
0: And it's not done in a... Because often when a feud between women is... Um, portrayed on screen, mm. it can be—you know—it comes back to that whole. Catty, women are just bitchy.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, the reason I think it's so good and it's doing so well, and the reviews have been What's so it good, it's on BBC iPlayer. <clears throat> the reason it's um, doing so well, I think, is that it really does a 360 examination of sort of internalised misogyny and how Hollywood treats women. And treated and how that
0: affected their relationship. Yeah, and how
1: that affected their relationship and their sense of career mortality and their yeah. sense of sort of success scarcity. And it's also just really funny and it's really stylish. I love that whole mid-century kind of late fifties, early sixties thing. And it's got these mad cameos in, like Catherine Zeta-Jones as a talking <laughs> head on it. Um, yeah, it's brilliant. I'll so check that, out. that was just a really fun watch. Something else I've been loving, for better or worse, is Delicious. I've been watching that as well. Why am I so obsessed? It's so weird. So Delicious is a show that I got into reluctantly last series. Very on you. I know. Well, it sort of isn't, it sort of isn't. It's with Dawn French and Amelia Fox. It's incredibly camp. It's narrated by a dead Ian Glenn. And it's these two women who were married to one dastardly man. And they live in Cornwall and they both work in this big hotel. And it's a lot to do with food, hence the name Delicious. And it's
0: kind of, how would you describe it? It's very soapy in a weird way. It's it's, it's meant to be this sort of dark, quirky soap because there was suggestions of incest in the last series. Yes,
1: and, and then, then they backed out like they always do in those incest storylines. Because it's,
0: it's not incest, is it? No,
1: and it's so, not technical incest. It never, It never is. <laughs>
0: It's not technical incest. And there's a daughter who, as far as I can tell, suffers from an eating disorder and is also allergic to water. Yes. And there's a weird subplot going on with her creepy therapist. Yes. It's really odd. What I really enjoy about it, I'll tell you one thing that annoys me, is that Amelia Fox celebrates her 40th birthday and yet somehow has a son that looks about 29. Yeah, I Pisses that, me off. Yeah. My sister said the other day that she really struggled to enjoy the sinner because she couldn't reconcile Jessica Beale who's 34 playing a 16 year old as she is for most of the series and I do really understand that 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 sort of taking the piss on screen where you're like I can't believe in this anyway Mm -hmm. so that annoys me but what I do really enjoy is that Dawn French who is 60 and has never played sexy roles she's never really been you've never seen her on screen being desired. Yes,
1: exactly. Yeah. And
0: I enjoy that she's with this younger man and that it's all up to her whether or not they get married.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think one of the reasons it's so nice is the first thing you said to me when I mentioned it to you is you said it makes me want to live in Cornwall and a lot of it I think is sort of lifestyle porn it's just beautiful it's an aesthetic treat to watch it with all the close-ups it's a funny old program it's beautiful sort of Cornish landscape yeah it's mad but I'm just like I just I'm so hooked on it and I don't know why (laughs) delicious that can actually be I'm watching that on now tv but that's on sky I've also just been listening to loads of podcasts because I'm spending my entire life in the Fitness First gym at the moment, and the only way that I can get through it is listening to podcasts. Well done you. I listen to... Uh, sorry, that sounded a little boasty, didn't it? Maybe it is a boast. I'm down there all the time. Sarah Jessica Parker on The Nerdist. Who's that hosted by? I've never heard of The Nerdist. It's an American podcast that kind of long-form interviews. There's a great episode with Lena Dunham, actually. It's hosted by Chris Hardwick, and uh, I think from what I gather it's about kind of in-depth conversations um discussing and analyzing all there's things sorts of a lot of
0: these podcasts in america yeah you think it had become i can't get enough of them According to say saturated obviously not because i love them you're a willing audience so there must be lots of i yeah. I, I, I personally feel like there's a lot of long-form podcasts mm. out there mm.
1: Well, she they get a good interview out of Sarah Jessica Parker, and I really loved her episode of Here's the Thing with Alec Baldwin. It might be my favourite, actually. Does
0: she talk about the fact that the next Sex in the City didn't get made because she wanted too much money? Because that's what I'm interested in. Do
1: you know what she talks about on the Nerdist one, which is very interesting? She talks about how the biggest pressure when she was making Sex in the City was how the press couldn't believe that four women could like each other. But apparently they really don't. Well, she said that's all made up and she said it got
0: Kim to a Cattell point that she... Kim said quite a few things in interviews that are quite telling.
1: She said that they were twisted to say that and she said that she found it very misogynistic. And she said she gave this example that I found very funny. And when she said that, I was like, yeah, that would be really annoying. Where they'd be sitting doing an interview and they'd be like, are you guys all friends? And they'd be like, yeah, we, you know, we love each other and we're like sisters and we love working together. And then the interviewer would say, are you spending the weekend together? <laughs> but she said that there was a moment where they went to Germany and they were doing a press junket and the interviewer said the whole thing of like, oh, so you say you're friends? Are you actually friends? And she was like, yeah, we're actually friends. And he said, have you got her a Christmas present to Kim <laughs> to Cattrall? Sarah Jessica Pogba was like, well, no, I, actually, now you mentioned it. I don't have a Christmas present. And he was like, well, caught you out. <laughs> anyway, so that was very when good.
0: When I think of um, Sex in the City, I always think of that line in the much derided film of sheep perkyseed in her pants.
1: Oh God, Lawrence of my labia, I have to say, haunts me and <laughs> will it. haunt me until the day I die.
0: I love it. I also
1: love Janine Garofalo, who was an interviewee on Guys We Fucked, and was just fascinating. She, you probably know her from Romeo and Michelle's high school reunion. She plays the kind of dorky gothy girl with the dark hair. Anyway, it's just a really interesting episode talking about how complex and varied and in flux female sexuality is. And it's a very honest discussion. I really liked it. And I've also been listening to Jessie Ware's podcast, Table Manners, that she does with her mother. Oh,
0: yes. I must check that out. God, I
1: just love it. The last episode that I listened to it was so brilliant. was with Sandy Toxfig, And I'm actually going to insert a clip because I can't quite capture how charming this mother-daughter team is oh. by describing it. And there's, I'm just going to play this bit that comes at the end, which is the outro after they've had Sandy over for dinner and they cook dinner for Sandy and they're so excited talking about it afterwards. Mum, what? Should you go first, or shall I? You can go first. No, you go first. I love her. I love her so much. Me
2: too. She's a goddess. She's just...
0: The best. Just very easy company. Just so clever. Tells you all you need to know about everything.
1: You put your Radio full voice on for her, you know Did that.
2: I? You did. Um, it's because I've newsco- heard
0: her. the news. Mm, uh, my good friend Simon
2: Hoggart. Oh, shut
0: up. I've heard her on Radio 4. Oh, Radio 4. Shut I up, I love Jeffy. to listen to it. That's a great guest for them. And I'm really interested seeing Jessie in a different capacity. Obviously, we primarily know her as a singer. And then a couple of weeks ago, I was reading her incredibly moving piece that she did. I think it was with UNICEF. I'm so sorry if it's not. I'm saying this from memory. But she's an ambassador and she went to Myanmar mm. and met with a lot of the Rohingya mm. people and relayed some of the stories she'd learned. And they, I mean, you know, one woman who was just 25 and saw five out of her seven children get killed. Some, some, You mm. know, some, some mm. really, really horrific stuff. And I found her account, yeah, incredibly moving and interesting. And as I said, it's just... It's great to see she's obviously a woman with many interests and many skills and many ambitions and many passions. And it's nice to see the outlet of those.
1: Totally. And she said something really interesting in this interview with Sandy Toxwick where they're talking obviously a lot about uh, women and women's rights and equality because Sandy Tokswick is heavily involved with the Women's Equality Party. And Jessie Ware said that she was told when she made her latest album that record labels said her story wasn't sexy enough because what happened is she went off and got married and had a baby yeah. and wrote an album about making a family. And for her, she was like, this is the most fucking incredible thing I've ever done. So rich with emotion and experience to dig. And they were like, well, that's not really sexy enough for an album. And it's interesting because Sandy toxic being the kind of genius that she is relates it back to female artists of the past when paintings of domestic life were seen as just boring and not interesting yeah it's just a really interesting conversation yeah and she seems like a really as you say multi-talented and empathetic and intelligent girl
0: oh i'll definitely check that out lots of good recommendations thank you we had some interesting emails from the week as ever the Hilo would like to say hello to Kerry at the Royal London Hospital. Dan got in touch with us to see if we could wish her better and say a little hello as she's a devoted Hilo listener which is what we like to hear. We've been told that you're being very brave and brilliant Kerry and it sounds like your friends are all full of a lot of love and pride for you so get well soon Kerry. We had
1: an email from someone who works in HR. They're obviously on the other side of a lot of the stuff we've been talking about recently, particularly off the back of a reader email. And we thought it would be good to read out as it offers another perspective. Hi Dolly and Pandora. As someone who works in HR, I found it really disheartening to hear about the listeners who've had bad experiences with HR in relation to sexual harassment cases. This is in reference to the recent listener letter about an MD who wrote an inappropriate poem as part of his secret Santa gift. HR do often have to walk a very difficult line between policy, process and fairness, which people often take to mean being harsh or cold. But for cases of clear gross misconduct like sexual harassment, please do take the evidence to your HR rep, who should treat it with the utmost confidentiality and take you seriously. As a youngish female who sometimes struggles in the very male-dominated industry of oil and gas, I understand the fear, embarrassment and anger often felt with calling people out and totally get the inability to sometimes summon the extreme courage required. If you can, though, please do. So thank you very much for your letter. And we fully acknowledge that, like in any role, there are some brilliant people who work in HR, as much as there may be some that are unhelpful. Support for the Hilo comes from Google Pixel 2. Google has been built on asking questions and challenging the status quo. From maps to email, search and beyond, Google has a history of looking at the norm and finding a better way.
0: Each week we are going to do a curiosity challenge where we pose a question to one another which encompasses the Hilo's ethos of covering all things from the personal to the philosophical to the surreal. This week, Dolly, my question to you in these dark and dismal sober January times, and my God, this weather has been giving it to us, Mm. what gets you through January?
1: Eurovision. (laughs)
0: Um, (laughs) God, I forgot about that abomination. (laughs)
1: Just realised you'll be able to drink by the time Eurovision swings round this year, so we can do the Eurovision drinking game again. Good. Um, I'm a sucker for a new start. I love the idea of kind of a fresh page. So I like li-
0: you like a literal fresh page and a new pen. I
1: do new stationery, new term. I kind of always feel invigorated by pants. January. New pants. Do you know I did get some new ninnies for Christmas for Crimber. Um Ninnies be a ninny? Ninnies for minunny. We've got a bit off to we. <laughs> <laughs> what else? Spring, the prospect of spring. Blossom and clear skies. I'm all right with January.
0: I just got to get through it. You just got to get through it. How about you? Great box sets.
1: Yes, that's a good one.
0: Living for the sofa, or rather living on the sofa. Yeah.
1: The Google Pixel 2 is the world's best smartphone, capturing your best ever photos, whether you're in bright light or dark evenings. So starry nights look as good as sunny days.
0: Thank you very much to my sofa and the Google Pixel (laughs) 2. It's now time for The Top Line, read by
1: Dolly Alderton. DJ CJ, can you hit me with some Bowie, because it's David Bowie's birthday this week. Thank you. An open letter has been published in France's Le Monde newspaper, in which a hundred French writers, performers and academics warn readers about a new Puritanism sparked by the recent sexual harassment scandals shared as part of the Me Too movement. Men have been punished, forced out of their jobs when all they did was touch someone's knee or try to steal a kiss, it said. Rape is a crime, but trying to seduce someone even persistently or clumsily is not. One of the contributors is iconic actress Catherine Deneuve. At least 13 people are dead and 163 people hospitalised due to waist-deep mudslides in Southern California where heavy rains triggered flooding. More than 30 miles of the main coastal road has been shut down. Altrincham Grammar School for Girls in Manchester is losing girls from its title and is banning teachers from calling students girls. The school has said it has fears that using the word girls could result in pupils who are changing sex being misgendered. In a letter to parents, headteacher Stephanie Gill said the rethink came in response to the challenges facing our students who are questioning their gender identity or who do not identify as girls. Sales of Prosecco outstripped champagne by 10 to 1 this Christmas.
0: God, this is a tragedy, I think. What a surprise this got into the top line this week, Dolly.
1: (laughs) According to Majestic, higher import costs because of the weaker pound and the price tag associated with champagne have sent sales of the French fizz down by 7%. The first unwanted dog bought as a Christmas present has been left at Battersea Dogs' home. His name is Ronnie, he is an eight-week-old mongrel and he is completely adorable. Last year saw a 54% increase in the number of dogs left abandoned in the two weeks around Christmas, with 127 dogs being abandoned at homes across the country. The BBC's China editor, Carrie Gracie, resigned this week over lack of parity, saying that men at her level were paid more. The editor has since been invited back to the BBC's news channel on a new salary of £145,000. She tweeted will be paid more for sitting in a warm studio than hurtling around a country of 1700000000 billion 24-7. Strange. A £50,000 humpback whale protected a diver from a shark in amazing footage captured in waters off the Cook Islands. The whale is seen tucking 63-year-old Nan Hauser under its pectoral fin to protect the whale biologist from a circling tiger shark. Nan says that this is proof of a whale's intuitive nature to protect other animals, which she says has never been captured on film before. m s shoppers are outraged after the supermarket brought out a cauliflower steak for £2.50. Doused in lemon and herb drizzle, m s defended the steak as a healthy vegetarian quick meal. A new ad campaign created by the army for recruitment has divided opinion with one former officer denouncing it as political correctness gone mad. Morale will fall through the floor, he says of the series of adverts, which focus on debunking various myths about the army, like to be a good soldier, you cannot express emotion, cannot be gay and cannot be a woman, etc. Officials at the Ecuadorian embassy in London are seeking advice on how to oust Julian Assange, who's now been there for five years. Assange famously took refuge in the embassy after he lost a legal battle to extradite him to Sweden for questioning about an alleged sexual assault. And that was the top line.
2: (laughs)
0: Pammy Andy's not in the UK so much. <laughs> I know. If they manage to finally boot a sauvage out for five years, that's a long time. Some serious damage limitation going on there with Carrie Gracie, isn't oh, there? totally. Come to the news channel and we'll pay you lots. And I love that she's live tweeting. I know. Absolutely everything. Speaking of sexism, are you surprised by Catherine Deneuve et al.? Uh oh, sadly not. I'm not saying that France is all j'aime le rape, but it is a very traditional patriarchal society. Mm, I mean, mm. they're hardly at the forefront of social revolution compared to the rest of Europe. Still, hilarious, albeit depressing. It's like the guys who say, but how do I flirt now? And you're like, it's easy, just don't put your hand up her skirt when she's mm. expressed no sexual interest in you, and so on and so forth.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's very much French sensibility, isn't it? And it's something I really noticed when I, when I interviewed darling, dear old Carla Bruni. Mm. You know, that's a woman who's very engaged and woke and turned on. And yet there still is this sort of French culture of the man always being uh, looked after and he's sort of precious and he's uh, his feelings and his ego are always taken into account. And everyone else is slightly subservient to that.
0: There is an investment in it, isn't it? Mm. It's France is an interesting one. And obviously neither of us have ever lived in France so apologies if you live in France and you're like that's bullshit but from an outsider's perspective it doesn't feel so much like the women are knowingly oppressed by men and have to say oh but but we love it really it's that they actually feel really empowered by this and they're, G- like, G- yeah, they're like fuck totally. off we love this totally and and Carla
1: Bruni said and I, I do sort of applaud her for this even though I don't know how progressive or helpful it is she said this is a dynamic that I enjoy you know, it's interesting.
0: Is, it's always interesting to hear from the other perspective. We can't be in a vacuum. About yeah, that. the
1: only thing that I find difficult about the women who
0: say, Oh, get over it.
1: Like men just like to be flirty. We can't stop men being flirty. Let's just let men be men. It's a bit of fun. More often than not, are women who are incredibly beautiful as well. And I do think that changes things because I yeah, do of course think it does. Your, experience your experience in the world is
0: entirely different.
1: Exactly. And also Those women have become accustomed to and reliant on a very constant stream of the male gaze. So I don't know, it doesn't really wash for me when it comes from the most beautiful woman in the world, Catherine Deneuve, saying, get over it, male attention's lovely. That's a very singular, unique experience, I think.
0: On another note, will you be eating a £2.50 cauliflower steak, you big old vegetarian? I mean,
1: that is ridiculous, isn't it? That's ridiculous. Also, cauliflower steak, this is all Ottolenghi's doing. Ottolenghi just made the cauliflower as big as bloody Beyonce. A cauliflower big as bloody Beyonce? He did. And the cauliflower, I like a bit of cauliflower,
0: but come on, it's 30p from your local market. I just love that someone in a room somewhere came up with calling it a steak. I know. I know a good way to flog you know, it. It's, yeah. Let's put some lemon drizzle on it and call it a steak. The army advert's really interesting. Colonel Kemp said on BBC Breakfast that the new emo-led adverts ignore the army's main demographic. The main group of people who are interested in joining the army aren't worrying so much about whether or not they're going to be listened to, he said. I find this kind of criticism quite worrying because it's actually what we're faced with time and time again with social change, whether it be LGBTQI issues or working mothers. But the majority of people are fine. Why change it for the minority? And that's exactly what Colonel Kemp is saying. Yeah, that's a completely moronic stance on
1: it. And, of course, you have to celebrate this moment of inclusivity. And... um... I applaud that, and that's brilliant. The only thing I would say is I I don't know how misleading it is. I watched it thinking
0: there's a few. Which one
1: did you watch? I watched I watched a couple of them, but there's a bit where it's like we in the army people think that we knock emotion out of you. Yeah, and I'm like, well, you sort of do. There are certain strains of training in the army where that's exactly what you do, and that's the point of
0: it. Yeah, because you you can't be governed by your head. You have to be, you know, you you can't focus on what we would focus on, which is, oh, my God, I've just seen someone... Yeah,
1: exactly. Um, All I would worry about these adverts is it being... Misleading to make people feel that they will feel safe or accepted when probably they won't. That's the only issue I have with it.
0: I can see why some people have said that the ads focus a little bit too much on negativity and that it's all about people expressing doubt about whether or not they can be in the army. So I'm gay, can I join the army? I'm a woman, can I join the army? I am emotional, can I join the army? And in that regard, it doesn't paint the army in the best light as something mm. that needs to be constantly defended. And the army, like a lot of other... Institutions can, of course, be seen and has been reported to be misogynistic or patriarchal or anachronistic or homophobic. Yeah, yeah, but I, but I do. So I do understand why some people working there might do a bit of an eye roll mm. about the way in which it's been portrayed.
2: Mm.
0: But you know, everyone has to. They have to give it a go. They yeah. have to. You know, they have to try and rewrite the societal image of institutions, whether or not it feels a bit. Um, Hackneyed, our favourite word, um, yeah. or a bit crass, or a bit obvious, yeah. and they are quite obvious. There's not much nuance. To no, and no, and let's
1: just hope they're they're not doing it just to gimmick, just as a gimmick, or to spin a buck. Let's hope that they're they are trying to change everything from the inside, so Absolutely. a variety of of people will feel comfortable in the army.
0: talk about the Golden Globes. The 75th year of the annual Hollywood Awards ceremony which unfolded on Sunday night isn't our typical high-low talking point in that it's usually all about the gorgeous gowns and we don't do much sartorial analysis here at the HL. In a way of course this Golden Globes was still all about the gowns but in a very different way.
1: In December, reports began circulating that women would be wearing black to the awards to protest against sexual harassment. Dozens of stories from actors including Gwyneth Paltrow, Angelina Jolie and Julia Roberts have emerged since the New York Times broke the story of sexual allegations against leading producer Harvey Weinstein, who is still, it appears, in hiding. On Sunday night, the majority of female actors and male, too, wore black. What we want to discuss is, does this mean anything or is it just a gimmick? Can clothes really make a difference to a political movement?
0: Well, that's a question that I have considered and been asked many times as someone who predominantly writes about fashion. The New York Times tea magazine fashion critic, Alexander Fury, tweeted a brilliant thread of tweets that I retweeted on my own account, which I think encompasses this idea and talks through it really well. So I'm just gonna read them out now. I'm very interested to hear people retrospectively criticizing the validity of the blackout at the Golden Globes. Before I saw it, I was a skeptic but I was silenced, it was powerful. Plenty of news outlets will still only print an image of a woman on the red carpet and not report what she has to say. So why not make your appearance semaphore in some way, what you want to convey? It wasn't a sandwich board, but these black dresses had a deeper meaning than satin and sparkle. They represented something and by showing a picture, you convey, at least in part, their message. It was a demonstration that women will not and cannot be silenced, it had strength and dignity. Why not mention the designers? Because this was about the women and their message and no one wanted to feel like they were co-opting the moment for a plug, designer or celebrity. Why black? Not necessarily because black is the colour of mourning, but because black represents all kinds of things. Seriousness, servitude, justice. It's the colour of judges' robes, of maids' uniforms, of priests' vestments, of nuns' habits. It's the colour of newsprint reporting all of this injustice. It's the colour of the law. One more thought. Black also melts away, arguably, focusing attention on the woman, or here, women. It transmogrified then from an audience into a movement. And I think that's just a a brilliantly eloquent Mm. way of looking for the deeper meaning that, you know. Was this movement was striving for, mm-hmm. the Time's Up movement. Viola Davis, Angelina Jolie, Kerry Washington, Natalie Portman, Jessica Chastain, and many, many more, all wore black. Stylist Elizabeth Saltzman said that when she heard about the Time's Up movement, she immediately told Versace, who were making a dress for her young client, Saoirse Ronan, to recommission the dress in black. So big efforts were made. There were some colourful refusenicks most notably in the shape of Mia Tatner, the president of the Hollywood Foreign Press Association it's a bit like Bridget Jones turning up in the bunny costume isn't it <laughs> they really stuck out the yeah. women that, and she's the president so it's actually mm. worse than Bridget Jones and her bunny outfit her reasons for not wearing black a source said on her behalf are cultural as part of her Indian culture it is customary to wear colour during a celebration I get that and who am I to diss the cultural mores of someone else but I do think it rather undercuts the movement when someone as powerful as the president of the Hollywood Foreign Press Association doesn't join in
1: yeah I know what you mean and it is disappointing but I also think we do have to be careful with shaming the oppressed and how they choose to express their protest or revolt Mm. it's the same with when there was that twitter walkout or the no makeup selfie or international women's day Mm -hmm. i think women are allowed to express themselves however they feel comfortable or is most effective i've certainly felt slightly bullied into doing something to appear suitably woke enough in the past and it's not a great feeling that said i do think the wearing black statement was very powerful and i'm really thankful it happened it was a sort of physical manifestation of this enormous sense of change that I imagine was in the air that evening.
0: I'm not sure Justin Timberlake quite got the point. He wrote of his wife, Jessica Beale who was wearing black. Here we come and damn, my wife is hot. (laughs) (laughs) Hashtag time's up sweet but yeah
2: did he do hashtag
0: times up that's hilarious lots of men wore black as well but lots of men also did not mention me too or any of that movement in their speech so there's a bit of a contradiction there I've been talking with some friends about this and we're saying that
1: it's powerful when women wear black, especially on the red carpet, because there are so, it's so It's so like currency as well. Yeah, whereas with men, men often are wearing black. So it would have been so much more powerful if on the night they were vocal. And sadly, so few were.
0: Agreed. There was this amazing moment where Natalie Portman is announcing the nominees for Best Director of the Year. And she goes, here are the all male nominees. I love that. And you just feel the whole room go oof. It's true, it's all very well wearing black. But where were the female nominees? For God's sake. That's more important than the black frock.
1: Totally. And I think it was so powerful that she said that because... Men can make the right noises and say the right things when they're being interviewed on the red carpet. Women can wear black, but the equality imbalance has to happen from the inside now to make real change and to change the landscape of Hollywood.
0: Rose McGowan, who was one of the leaders of the Me Too movement, you know, breaking the story, has accused the actors who wore black of fakery. I don't watch red carpets, not my thing. I was asked to lend my name to a letter to aid female farm workers from sexual harassment. I said, of course. The next thing I know, I'm endorsing Time's Up. I know the people that are behind this. I know where they have their meetings. I know who's sponsoring them. I know a lot of things. People see from the outside, they see the red carpet. I see it from behind the scenes, so I know a lot of things. I think the system is massively broken. This is a band aid to make yourselves feel better for what we've all known about and been silent witnesses or participants in. And no, I don't forgive. So she's understandably still... Very angry. I'm not sure that's an entirely fair dismissal of Time's Up because the movement Mm. was about more than just black dresses. Mm. Another aspect of it was that actors got to bring along an activist plus one, which is arguably much more meaningful the presence of the activists. Michelle Williams bought the Me Too creator Tarana Burke. Susan Sarandon bought Rosa Clement, founder of PR Puerto Rico, on the map. Emma Watson bought Mariah Larassi, executive director of IMCON, a Black feminist network organization. Meryl Streep bought Ai Jen Poo, director of the National Domestic Workers Alliance. Shalene Woodley bought Kalina Lawrence, who raises awareness of social injustices impacting tribal reservations. Emma Stone was accompanied by Billie Jean King, longtime women's and LGBT rights advocate, who, of course, she played in her nominated film *Battle of the Sexes*.
1: I didn't know about that activist plus one which I think is a really, really brilliant idea.
0: Underreported
1: because mm, of the black frocks. Exactly. <laughs> I also think Rose McGowan undoubtedly has inside information that we don't. And it must be very frustrating mm. for her as a whistleblower to see the sort of pomp and ceremony mm-hmm. and glitter and celebrity of the Golden Globes perhaps distract from the facts of a very grim story she knows to be true but as we always say it does have its value Mm -hmm. giving the story a kind of commercial glossy red carpet walking presence it means it will have a larger reach and more people will have more of an understanding of the very dark machinations of current and past Hollywood
0: yes it's very easy to focus on the moral rather than the commercial but in Hollywood commercial is currency red carpet dresses are currency Mm. it was the maximum way to get exposure for the cause mm. by all dressing in black. No mention of the designers, that's a huge yeah, factor. They'll yeah. have spent £50,000 making gowns for celebrities and knowing that they are doing that for social injustice. Mm. It's not as important as having, say, a female nominee in the directors, yeah. but it is a pretty admirable start. Several speeches from the awards have gone viral. One, of course, is Oprah's. Oprah was the first black woman to win the 2018 Golden Globe Cecil B. DeMille Award for contributions to the world of entertainment.
2: Five words that literally made history. The winner is Sidney Poitier. Up to the stage came the most elegant man I had ever seen. I remember his tie was white and of course his skin was black and I'd never seen a black man being celebrated like that. And I have tried many, many, many times to explain what a moment like that means to a little girl, a kid watching from the cheap seats, as my mom came through the door bone tired from cleaning other people's houses. And it is not lost on me that at this moment, there are some little girls watching as I become the first black woman to be given the same award.
1: Seth Meyers called for her to run for president, which seems to have become a one-liner that's now being taken very seriously, with lots of op-eds about why this is or isn't a brilliant idea. All I would say is if Congress is now basically a celebrity reality competition show, I am All for Oprah taking the reins.
0: I mean, let's look at the current president. Oprah would be a million and one improvement. I'm really interested that she's America's first female self-made black billionaire. That monologue by the host, Seth Meyers, it was pretty biting. And he's had a lot of applause for it because that was a hard gig. That was a tough gig. He couldn't risk doing a James Corden on it and missing the mark and mm-hmm. as he says on stage all the other white dudes out there could hear their name being called out and know that this wasn't necessarily for doing something wrong but to be honest that the monologue to me did feel a little bit like the lady doth protest too much except obviously it's not a lady he's a white man he kept joking they tried to get a woman not another white dude and it just felt a bit like okay well why didn't they get a woman, wouldn't that have chimed more effectively than you making copious, albeit very woke feminist Mm, jokes mm, Jennifer Lawrence would have been great at hosting, Emma Stone both feisty, funny, articulate political women, Sarah Silverman she'd have nailed it, Tina Fey Amy Poehler, I mean Mm. I could go on
1: I actually think his monologue was Tonally spot on. I think he got a really good balance of laughing up, being shocking without being offensive. Uh, being serious as well in moments and also sensing public mood in the mood of the room but I am with you though I don't know why the fuck that job wasn't given to a woman and it's not enough to make a self-aware joke that it should be a woman it's not enough to hand over your punchlines there's this bit he does which is one of his recurring gags where he says he feels like there are certain jokes it's not appropriate for him to say as a white man so he hands over the punchline he did this live in the audience with Jessica Chastain amongst others delivering the final sentence of jokes about sexism but it didn't quite work for me as the person with all the power and the platform in that moment is still the man. It's not as if Jessica Chastain wrote the joke or indeed probably had any say in the matter. That's the only bit that really annoyed me. It felt like a very thinly veiled, half-assed attempt at being inclusive without putting the trust into a woman's hands at all.
0: Look, I have no doubt, and I think that's very apparent that Seth Myers did the best job, job he could yeah. he could in the time yeah. with the platform he had. But I wish he'd just gone. Thank you so much, Hollywood Press Association. I would love to host the Golden Globes. However, I do have a clause in my rider that says I can't do it without a woman. Mm, Afraid mm. that's just the time we live in. And do you know what would be great is why don't we see if we don't have to get a white woman? You know, I know we talk about platforming a lot and this is a very literal platform, but it did feel to me so obvious. But it wasn't his I moment just, to speak. But I also just couldn't quite believe, I was like, God, they've done so much right and they oh, forgot no. the main yeah. thing. The main <laughs> thing, yeah. <laughs> Something to end on, which made me laugh. Ivanka Trump tweeted, just saw Oprah's empowering and inspiring speech at last night's Golden Globes. Let's all come together, women and men, and say, time's up. Let us, of course, remember that this is the daughter of the arch- Pussy grabber. Hollywood, or indeed politics, is nothing if not a world of contradictions. I found that hilarious too. Nice try, Ivanka. <laughs> Support for the Hilo comes from Treatwell, our gorgeous, useful and rather luxurious sponsor and the brighter way to book
1: beauty. Using Treatwell is simple and easy, it really is. I book so many appointments with it and as Pandora will tell you, I am not so good with the technical side of things. (laughs) You can browse online or on the app to find your nearest salon all across the UK and Ireland too. You use hundreds of reviews to help you pick the best place for you. You can book beauty where you want, when you want.
0: How is dry January going, Dolly? So
1: well, actually. I'm in what they call the pink haze of sobriety, where my (laughs) life feels 3,000 times easier and um, I can't really imagine ever having a glass of wine again right now.
0: I'm glad to say you're approaching this with your characteristically moderate and rational attitude. If you've decided not to throw yourself into the deepest and darkest end of New Year's resolutions like Dolly, why not join Treatwell and its New Year revolution, for which it encourages people to make promises you can stick to. You can vow to prioritise relaxation with a massage, or try a new look with a change of hairstyle, Or save money by shopping for beauty treatments at up to 50% off in their January sale. Visit treatwell.co.uk to find salons and offers near you. You can also use
1: the very nifty Treatwell app, although the January sale can only be seen on the mobile site and website. I had the best, most relaxing facial of my life thanks to Treatwell right before Christmas at the face place. If my pink haze starts fading, I might
0: head there for another one to perk me up. Good idea. So go get yourself some treats from Treatwell now. From the red carpet
1: to Westminster. (laughs) The journalist Toby Young, who was appointed the government's new university regulator at the beginning of the year, has very quickly resigned just over a week later from the position after a petition of over 200,000 signatures protested against his new role. One of the main reasons his resignation was called for was for past offensive comments he has made both in print and on Twitter. In the Spectator piece revealing his resignation, he stated that his hiring had become a distraction from the vital work of the Office for Students.
0: For anyone who doesn't know who Toby Young is, he is a right-wing journalist who edited 90s magazine The Modern Review before moving to New York to work for Vanity Fair. His experiences of working there inspired his book that became the film How to Lose Friends and Alienate People, starring Simon Pegg. In 2011, he set up the West London Free School because he said he couldn't afford to send his four children to private school, which placed importance on discipline, ambition, and a competitive atmosphere. He's also known for a vast, vast amount of titty tweets, for want of a better word.
1: His past comments include the tweet, Serious cleavage behind at Ed Miliband's head. Anyone know who it belongs to? During Prime Minister's question time. You'd think the man's never seen a pair of tits. You know, I went through all of them. It's ridiculous. In a column, he once referred to wheelchair ramps as being a ghastly part of inclusivity at schools. His resignation has divided opinion. Spectator editor Fraser Nelson says he was the victim of a digital inquisition. Other defenders have said this is an example of Twitter's famous Twitchfork mob brigade. Sarah Vine, unsurprisingly, has written that he should have a second chance and Boris Johnson, on the initial announcement of Toby Young's new role, said he would bring a caustic wit to the job. The vast majority, however, has celebrated his resignation, including MP Jess Phillips and Vince Cable, who said getting a job in government has to require more than just being a friend of Boris Johnson's. (laughs) Pandora, what do you make of the whole thing?
0: I'm just not sure that what Westminster really needed right now is caustic wit. Right? It needs modernising desperately more than it needs the witty toadmeister. It's an interesting one because it really, and God, I say this to any teenagers listening because you are the first generation to grow up with social media and therefore I hope you have a better understanding of how it impacts your IRL lives and how basically, don't be a fool on it as it may hurt your future career. It shows that the internet never dies. Mm. The old adage about yesterday's news being today's fish and chip paper just doesn't work anymore. Despite deleting a rumoured Fifty thousand of his tweets. Fifty
1: thousand. Oh fifty thousand mate. It
0: wasn't enough. They were already out there. Other tweets that had been deleted included What's happened to Winkleman's tits? Put some weight on Girlie. And hell. Danny Boyle's wife's got huge knockers. Incidentally, it wasn't Danny Boyle's wife, it was his daughter. Oh God.
1: First and foremost, before we even touch on some of the horrific things he said that make him wildly unqualified for the position, I think we have to point out that he's completely unqualified for other reasons. As you said, caustic wit... How does that make you employable for a governmental position? He's not like a Saturday Night Shiny Floor Show presenter. I'm so glad Vince Cable pointed out that fundamental fact that I think has got lost in understandable outrage, which is that this is a position attained on pure nepotism. Toby Young has next to no experience in this field of higher education, particularly higher education as universal and all-encompassing as all British universities...
0: I think wit and charm are great assets to have in a politician's arsenal. You know, Jess Phillips has made herself an incredibly empathetic and media-friendly politician because she knows how to speak about politics in a relatable and sometimes humorous Mm. and, and empathetic way. I would also say that I don't think he's entirely unqualified. His father was incredibly instrumental in this sector. He set up a lot of open universities. So perhaps there's that feeling that from him himself that he is more qualified. And to be fair, he writes a lot about education. But more to the point, I wouldn't say it's an appointment that resonates with where we are socially right now of course he didn't just write a lot of tweets about tits hashtag titty tweets he (laughs) wrote an essay in 2015 entitled meritocracy have you read that essay where he wrote all about how in order to help the plateauing social mobility of the lower classes we should allow them to screen their embryos essentially to see which ones have the higher IQ so that basically there can be less poor thick people
1: yeah he's really got it in for the working classes that's his most sort of offensive
0: yeah so that was pretty that was pretty dystopian
1: and and that's why I took offense with the caustic wit thing because I feel what Boris Johnson there with the word caustic is trying to say is I'm excusing my friend and Mm. and his unbelievably intolerant and disgusting views by saying that he's like a bit of a dark comic.
0: Yes, I understand that. A bit like, let's put Frankie Boyle in.
1: Yeah. Having said all that, I think as far as the offensive comments go, it is more of a grey area of morality and ethics than a lot of people might say it is. On one hand, as I've said before many times on this podcast, and will continue to say, I don't feel comfortable with dredging up the very worst things someone has ever said out of context you know some of the things people were dredging up about Toby Young he'd written in the mid 80s <laughs> oh my god and when we were embryos and I just I don't like you know they're, they're definitely relevant those comments but I don't think they should be used as a dis, as a definitive guide yes. to someone's present character Toby Young himself has said some of the things I said before I got involved in education when I was a journalistic provocateur were either ill-judged or just plain wrong and I unreservedly apologize and it's true that the role of being a provocative columnist and the role of being in a governmental job concerning education are two positions requiring two very different outward facing voices and personas and modes of tone and while he was one he probably had no idea that eventually he was going to be the other, seeing as the rest of the world found this appointment so utterly random. Columnists do exaggerate their viewpoint for comic effect. In fact, only this week on Desert Island Discs, Charlie Brooker was saying the exact same thing.
0: Yeah, of course. He's not not the only provocative male journalist. Mm -hmm. But... (laughs) I suppose you have to slightly try and foresee where you might want to be. Giles Corran and Rod Liddell, as far as I know, aren't planning to go into government, so they're fine making these very outdated, sexist comments, Mm. because that's what they've been hired to do. Unfortunately, Toby Young perhaps didn't anticipate he'd want to follow in his father's footsteps I think as journalists both you and I really feel and fear that a person can be summarily judged or known by their Twitter timeline I don't think you get the full sense of who you or me are by our tweets at least I hope not because mine would indicate a fairly odd (laughs) random individual that said this is not just a sweary rant at Argos. True, Or yeah. as you were fond of doing a Why isn't my parcel here yet? I hate the, the ASOS help desk. I hate that you track
1: how often I do Why is my I parcel like not here. I like to favourite them and
0: sometimes retweet them. One tweet, I mean, one tweet that really made me wince was in reference to a picture of him with a woman. Actually, mate, I had my dick up her ass. Oh, I mean, for God's sake. I mean, I'm sake. quite surprised the Spectator, Toby edited the Spectator Life supplement, didn't say anything to him about that.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, I'm not defending Toby Young, but I don't think Toby Young's past comments make him a definitive evil villain, is what I'm trying to say. And I don't think he is beyond enlightenment and educating himself and reforming, I hope. But I do think it makes him misogynistic and arrogant and clumsy and unaware of his own privilege and ignorant and offensive. And... Those are completely inappropriate characteristics for someone to be in a governmental role, particularly concerning higher education, where there still is a massive and extremely worrying disparity when it comes to inclusivity, which has to be top of the agenda if we want the world to change.
0: It is extraordinary, isn't it, that people like Boris Johnson still just don't get they it? They don't get it. They're just not reading the mood, the no. political and social mood. They're, they're blind to.
1: They're blind by. They're blinded by their own privilege. That's what one
0: that. Is politician i forget who kind of encapsulated my thoughts which is look toby young you know is smart he would have done some great work he's done some interesting things we've had some interesting conversations so far but he's not who we need right now exactly there is too much of a distraction i think you have to think of it a bit like a google search hi google hi google the first entry now when you google search someone is like the modern obituary if the first thing that comes up when you search for toby young is i had my dick up her ass mate and not young is instrumental in educational issues (laughs) then well you could argue that that sort of says it all
1: yes that's a very very good way of looking at it we couldn't talk about this subject without mentioning my so far favorite article of 2018 which is a stunt piece for vice by journalist and friend of the hilo's sophie wilkinson Toby Young wrote a pretty hideous piece for GQ in 2000 called I was a lesbian for the night in which he dressed up as a woman to get into New York gay bars. And I quote, approach gorgeous young lesbians, draw them into my confidence, then make out with them on the dance floor. So Sophie in Riposte to this, I mean, it's just such a genius idea. She dressed up as Toby Young and tried to trick her way into gentlemen's clubs in London. I won't describe too much more of it, as it really is a photographic tale, but it had me in tears of laughter, and we will, as always, post the link in the show notes.
0: I rather liked her skin cap. You looked stunning, Sophie. Which was, of course, (laughs) the entire point of the piece, how you looked.
1: The best thing to come out of this story for me has been watching people in government, particularly female voices, come together and topple this misinformed decision within such a short space of time. That's not a twitchfork mob. That's an old, white, nepotistic voice being overthrown by reason, sense and rationality. As mentioned in the previous topic, it shows that we're entering a new time in the world, one where the default voice of unquestioned authority isn't Boris Johnson.
0: I could listen to Jess Phillips all day, quite frankly. Mm. There's no doubt that Having set up a free school himself, he is not... I mean, he knows a lot more about education and free education than me and you do. But unfortunately, he is a man of many things, and those other things have proved themselves to... Unfortunately, usurp. prevail yeah. and usurp. The Guardian called him a self-styled provocateur, which is the kind of term that the media uses to describe the disgraced Milo Yiannopoulos. And it's sad, really, because Toby is, I'm sure, as we all are, more than the sum of his tweets. Mm. But they aren't befitting for a man in Westminster in 2018. Here, here. Sadly, we don't have
1: time for an Ask the High Low this week, but we got some lovely emails, and we'll definitely answer one of your questions next week thank you so much for listening to the hilo you can email us the show at gmail.com or you can tweet us at the hilo show we love hearing from you our lovely listeners
0: thank you very much to acast for letting us use your studio and to our sponsors google and Treatwell. Bye-bye. Bye bye <laughs> bye